Hello and welcome to Recast, the property podcast brought to you by Remit Consulting, where we explore new and important topics within the property industry. Barber, also known as Paddy, and today I will be taking the role of pantomime dame Widow Twanky, and we will be discussing in a pantomime style and maybe granting a selection of Yuletide wishes for the property industry, which have been made by the team at Remit Consulting and a number of the firm's associates. In this task, I'm joined by our own fairy princess, Emily Bates, who has a magic wand which looks suspiciously like a ballpoint pen, along with Remit Consulting's director, Lorna Landells who will today be playing part of the all-powerful and benevolent genie of the lamp. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Um, we're also joined, I'm delighted to say, by Andy Martin, founder of Andy Martin Consulting and the former UK Chief Executive Officer of BNP Paribas Real Estate and Senior Partner of Strutton Parker. And he's also a great friend of Remit Consulting and we're taking the role of Santa Claus in this podcast, spreading a little bit of Christmas magic. Towards the end of the discussion, we will choose our favourite wish, and with the flick of the magic wand, that particular wish will be granted. So, hello everyone. Are you feeling festive? Ho, ho, ho. Feeling <laughs> very festive, Paddy. Very happy to be Three here. Three wishes. Three wishes. <laughs> uh, and we have got mince pies, and we've got uh, chocolate biscuits, so this is, this is just perfect for this time of year. So, the first wish. We've split these into groups, and the first group of topic is ESG, sustainability, energy, that sort of thing. Um, Emily, do you want to go through one of the questions? Yeah, so this was actually a theme that a lot of people submitted, which I don't think is a surprise to anyone. This went from themes of how we can construct buildings better, um, how we can meet targets better, how we can start taking things more seriously. But I guess kind of a good place to start is here's the wish for the property industry that it can embrace ESG and climate change and it can pick up the pace to set an example to the world about what can be done to actually innovate this. What would you like to say about it, Andy? Well, uh, the, the, you know, if it's a naughty and nice list, then the real estate industry is the naughty boys because you know, 40% of carbon emissions we know are down to real estate. Uh, and so getting to grips with that is important. Steel. Um, I was reading an article the other day that for every tonne of steel that we make, one and a half tonnes of carbon dioxide are emitted. It's quite an interesting fact. So mm. green steel, and which there's technology for, these sorts of things, the more that it's embraced. And I think the most important thing now is we're seeing it's going to value. Mm. So your wish is being granted slowly. Slowly, yes. I think this is something that people have spoken about for a while, the want for stronger embrace, I guess, of ESG, but it's nice to see that things are changing. Hopefully, in 2023, maybe we'll get slightly better access to things like green steel, because I don't think it's commonly used, and that might be partially down to lack of accessibility. So hopefully that can happen. Yeah. I mean, one of the other questions, or sorry, other wishes which were, were made by the team was that we should be insulating Britain and working out some real schemes and stop paying lip service uh, to the, the topic. And I don't know whether you have anything 
on that kind of greenwashing subject? Is that something that you're concerned about? I think there's no doubt that everybody is trying to um, look at green credentials. And I think it's where you start to see very large institutions selling ESG strategies and then actually sitting with oil companies and saying, no, we're not going to back those strategies because it's not in shareholders' interest. So those sorts of issues, to my mind, we've got to get over. I think it's really good that having got through, or haven't got through COVID, but having actually sort of see the other side of it, this is now on the agenda again. And I think it's so important because we know that the clock is ticking. Mm. I think one thing that we can't forget about when thinking about ESG style wishes is the fact that, yes, there's a lot of regulation still targeting the E. Um, I know as a company, we're starting to see a little bit more emphasis on the social aspect, but this was something that came up as a wish. So what's the thoughts about what could 2023 look like for the S in ESG? Well, we know that um, some landlords are looking at social leases, social value leases, and that sounds to me like a, a good way to start the process, mm -hmm. looking at rebalancing the social value against the economic value. And we heard recently from Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea, and they've actively introduced social value leases where the tenant can acquire up to, say, 20% at discount of its rent by fulfilling certain social requirements. And just walking around today in the freezing cold, we know there's lots of empty buildings or partially empty buildings, and there's people who are going to, don't want to be overdramatic, but they're going to die this winter because they're cold and they've got nowhere to be. So why are we not encouraging the real estate industry to make some of those places available for people to actually get shelter? It's a strong point. I mean, obviously, when COVID came, there was a big industry initiative to get people into homes, in, in hotel rooms even, off the streets. And, you know, we can't forget what we started. I mean, this is yeah. so important. Um, homeless is actually a big, big issue, and actually I, I can understand it being a wish. Um, but the social... I think the S has, always, has been the one that's been least spoken about. You know, the E and the G seem to actually get into sort of people's agendas quickly, government agendas, but the S is the one that really has to be solved. I think it's hard because with a lot of the social issues, and I think kind of homelessness is a, is a good example here, surely the emphasis lies with the public to fix that, but it's not something you can't legislate the public like that, which is why I think these leases are a really good step where you're, as a landlord, positively saying we want this to be better and yes it shouldn't be the tenant's responsibility but it has to be someone's and we have to start somewhere I think this is a really great scheme that we heard about the other day and I hope that more people take it up and the landlords let's not forget the landlords are feeling some of the pain themselves because potentially they're going to be receiving less rental income and so it's a win-win really so we'll move on to our next uh, wish, which is the topic generally of technology. And uh, well, this was one of my wishes. I wasn't going to reveal this, but do you want to read yours <laughs> out, Lorna? Well, I could read it out. Well, yes, that sounds very rehearsed, though, doesn't it? It does. There were there were two questions, or two two wishes, I should say. One was uh, for fast broadband to every property and secure public Wi-Fi, which I. I would like. love that because the amount of times my Wi-Fi drops, that sounds like a brilliant wish. Can we make that happen now? Well, 
you know, there may be others to come. I mean, don't don't jump the gun. Um, and then the next wish, which was from someone in the room uh, <laughs> who doesn't want to read it, is a genuine a genuine collaboration between all the clever tech companies to bring the combined power of their genius ideas to the benefit of the property world, rather than heading off in parallel trajectories. That's why I wanted you to read it, not me. I wasn't quite sure I'd be able to read that. Oh, it was very good, though. Well, you should be in <laughs> PR. Um, well, talk us through it. What generated that wish in your in your mind? Well, earlier this year, we were, in, we were at Expo. Real. We were. We were. And every tech company was very keen to show off their latest bit of tech and their innovative ideas. And they were. They were all... <laughs> great but they were all slightly going off at a tangent to each other and I kept thinking if only those people would talk to those people and work together but of course they won't because they're separate companies that both got their targets profit and otherwise trying to get them to collaborate with each other would really benefit the property world because at the moment there's no one system does everything and there's no one idea that is fit for everyone yeah, there was a grouping, I can't remember their name now, but there was a grouping of tech companies who were at Expo about four years ago. And they were, um, they came under a sort of single umbrella and they were trying to to achieve this because they were doing separate things. You know, they, I can't remember what they were, but there would have been a management company looking at software for asset managers and all that sort of stuff. But they were actually having a dialogue and trying to collaborate on these things I don't know what happened to that grouping, and they weren't visible at Expo earlier this year. So, you know, the, the few people have had that idea. So your wish may, become, may come true. I know I'm meant to be the genie, but I think I need another genie to help me with this one. <laughs> Father Christmas? Well, <laughs> fast broadband. I mean, that's been a political promise for as long as we can remember. It was always going to happen under various governments it's been in manifestos and so on but it's such an obvious thing to deliver and i think again what we experienced in covid was that remote communities need this um and so i would say that it's quite an important thing to um to have uh but you know being radical you think about this as pipes everybody talks about what, what are the pipes like what's the broadband like and it gets back into what is national infrastructure and what should you leave to private industry to provide. And uh, I just wonder if we actually th trusted you know, central government to be the deliverer of this space, it would be a better deliverer than private enterprise. I, you know, sewers, for instance, they, we managed to actually put a sewerage system in. Um, we managed to put all the other systems in. But I don't think that actually we get, get quite that far. I'm not sure that government will be your father Christmas. But uh, yes, I mean, it should do. And actually remote communities and also, um, you know, single people, older age people that need this sort of access. We know that it would be a godsend to them. So I can understand why it's a wish. I, w I would love the, um, I've often thought about the fact that almost every household will be paying for broadband in some format. So yes, wouldn't it be fantastic if it was just provided anyway, but I find it ironic that I now live in central London and I grew up in very rural Devon very remote community. A lot of people didn't have Wi-Fi before 
COVID when then people started working from home and they had to. The Wi-Fi there is so much faster than I get in central London, um, which I think is hilarious. Um, and yes, I guess it proves the point that maybe this is a wish that someone needs to grant at some point. I so think it's about people, though. Mm. I imagine where you're in Devon is about four people. Yeah, maybe it. on a good day, sometimes good less. Day. <laughs> and having come from Devon myself, I think I can say that without anyone getting up too upset. Well, I, there was an article on the BBC the other day about um, how or why uh, 4G telecom signals are so poor these days. And um, I still get excited when I see 5G pop up on my phone. But then it goes, it disappears, and 4G has become really unreliable. And what they were saying, it's not just about um, coverage, it's about the capacity. And as they're switching from 4G to 5G, apparently, it means that the 4G signal is suffering. And it's really, really irritating, particularly on the train, when you're, you think you've got a full signal and you're trying to do some work, and it just doesn't function anymore. I've noticed 3G making a reappearance a lot. Have you? Yeah. 4G disappears quite often, but 3G sort of hangs on in there. There are probably some people listening under the age of 50 who don't remember 3G. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a sort of a careful what you wish for, because... More data means oh. more storage. Yeah. And data storage is very, very inefficient, creates more emissions unless you can do it in a, in a very green way, which we can't at the moment. So there's almost a question of actually if you get faster broadband coming and you've actually got to deal with the other issues as well because it's all interconnected. So I think within your wish, you've got to have both. You've got to have green data storage as well as faster broadband. Well, can we go back to carrier pigeons? Maybe that would be a simpler time. Or semaphore. <laughs> well, we've, we've dealt there with some technology and, and we touched on data. And that, that brings us nicely onto the next wish. Someone wished for that everyone in the property industry uh, becomes collaborative and happy to share. And it, it comes back to what you're saying about the technology companies working together. It's really about the property professionals working together collaboratively to share their data rather than holding their cards close to their chests and saying this is mine and I'm not going to share it. Well, a small piece of data is way less valuable than a share in a big piece of data. That's my view. So why be so precious with your data? Especially when quite often um, landlords, property companies, they won't, they won't share because they think there's some kind of business advantage to knowing that one piece of data when an awful lot of the data can be found out through other routes anyway if you wanted to do you think that's a generational thing because i think if you went back 25 30 years the market knowledge was very closely guarded and you did have to play your cards close to your chest because that was the one thing that sort of set you, you set you apart gave you the advantage and i wonder whether those elder people, I'd be careful what I say here, um, like me, you know, who grew up in the sort of markets in the 70s and 80s and, and 90s, who didn't have to share data in that way, are they now in positions of power which makes it more difficult for businesses to be flexible? I think, that, to probably, that, view? I think that probably applies to some of it, but I think agents are agents regardless of how old they are. And they're always going to be wanting a, an advantage over their competitors. And if that means hanging on to their data, rightly or wrongly, they're going to do it. 
this is data is king argument, isn't it? Mm. That, but we've seen but we've seen good things out of collaboration. IPD was a collaboration mm. um, created by some agents because they couldn't get access from other agents' data, <laughs> and of course uh, it won through in the end. So there are examples about uh, where this has worked. Um, and again, I would say that I sat as chair of the uh, property advisors group in, uh, in during COVID, and it was brilliant to see how people would share thoughts and access to data. In fact, of course, we know that Remark came out of that in the originally, um, mm. sharing data, actually wanting to have that data to help government look at delinquent tenants and things. So mm. um, it can be done. One's got to actually look at the power of the collective data as opposed to the individual data. It's amazing what you can Google these days. Yes. Do you think that the pandemic has had, uh, you know, perhaps a positive impact on that in that people were sharing data early on in lockdowns and to try and tackle the crisis that we faced? Do you think that maybe as we emerge from the pandemic, the memory of that and the fact that people have got used to sharing data might be improved? Do you think the situation may get better? I hope so, yeah. I, th I think it was a real illumination to everybody um, how much you could come together. And I think actually generally in all aspects of life we did come together to help. And I hope we don't lose that because um, I think there were some great initiatives that came out of it. And uh, to regress, I think, would not be a, a good place to be. So no. maybe that should be another wish. Moving on to wishes. So we're kind of taking a bit of a jump here, I guess. Some wishes came out on the topic of housing, which I think is a contentious topic anyway. And it's kind of at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. So I'm not surprised it came up. But I'll read one out here and then we'll kind of see what we think about it. So stabilize the property landscape for the rental market and build the required number of social houses and apartments to enable a fair rental market. Why must we be a nation of all homeowners? Absolutely encourage large rental schemes, but they must be based on affordable, fair rent, not ridiculously inflated rental scenarios. We need to encourage a long term fair rental sector. Again, there's kind of a lot in there, but. It's quite a big shift hmm. being there, requested in that wish. There was another one as well, which was to meet the housing targets or mm. annual housing targets by converting offices and retail properties into homes. And you mentioned earlier on yeah. the empty properties mm. out there for sheltering because there is no room at the inn kind of thing. Mm. But in terms of the rental, what, what are your thoughts on fair rental and what can be done to change the situation? From a personal perspective, I think it's outrageous that private landlords can command the kind of rents that they command and can increase them at will. On the other hand, I don't think it's fair on them if they've invested in the property and worked hard to provide a property to rent that they should be stuck with a tenant that they ca cannot remove who's not paying very much. I think mm. a reasonable, fair rental band for some of the big metropolitan metropolitan interesting word metropolitan areas that's that couldn't be a bad thing no i think um kind of playing to your first point student housing as someone who's not too long out of university the rents i was paying for the quality of house i was living in was ridiculous and i've seen even since i've left which is just a couple of years the hike 
of people now paying the rent for the house I was staying in that has not had improvements. It is ridiculous that these rents have gone up so much, but unless some someone comes in and can create a large amount of houses at a reasonable price, there's no incentive for people to bring the price down because students will pay because they have to. But it's a really difficult situation because some students are being forced to either not go to uni because they can't afford it or having to work multiple jobs, which is at detriment to their studies. It's it's a lot to deal with. And I think, yeah, I'm not surprised this wish came up. So do you think, though, that part of the issue is, and I think it sort of goes to everything you see, the difference between perhaps uh, a sector which is mainly private ownership, you know, certainly the rental sector is, the majority is private ownership, and perhaps the need to institutionalize it, see more professional investors providing more of the stock. And I think it's coming, but it will take time because, of course, the stock has to be built. It has to be invented. They have to take over. So in other words, you've got people who will be um, subject to stronger standards, not cram people in. AI will actually sort of ensure that you know how many people are in you can tell by water usage or electricity usage and that sort of thing. And I just wonder whether or not that we should hope for the wish would be granted if we had a stronger institutional sector in the residential provision market. We know that student housing, there's a shortage there, but a lot of it is actually just because there's been a lack of investment perhaps at university level too. But I, I think moving away from private to sort of institutional commercial landlords would be a better thing. I agree, and I think that plays to a couple of the other points in this housing theme of meeting the housing targets, plays to what we were talking about earlier, I know we've mentioned it, about being able to house the homeless if we had that more institutional backing um, across all residential housing. I think that would be really positive. The problem is the the scale of it. Institutionally, are they going to be interested in building up portfolios of individual houses? Because they would, you know, obviously from a efficiency point of view is going to be a lot better if they're in large developments residential built to rent type projects linking back to the idea of housing people in empty offices which is a really good idea except you've got to then have doctor surgeries and schools and you've got to put in place the infrastructure to support those people and if those office buildings say for example are in the city of london or central manchester they won't be able to cope with having that many people living there. I was, what I was going to say is in terms of answering the question, because you like data at Remit, um, if you look at the US market, the biggest investment sector in the US by a long, long way is residential multifamily. It's houses, it's apartments, it's single uh, person living, co-living. All of these aspects in the market are institutionalized it's a huge market i think it's a hundred and something major suburbs in america are predominantly rental not owned and another 50 major suburbs will join that figure in the next five years now in the uk i don't know what the size of the residential market is about let's say between six and eight trillion um the commercial market's about one just under one and the commercial residential multifamily sector within that is very, very small. So there's a long, long way to go. But the answer to your question, Paddy, is that you know, if you take German markets, Dutch markets, 
corporate institutional ownership is actually a very large part of the residential market. So it's there. And that's why it's actually a favorite for a lot of investors coming into the UK at the moment. It's gearing up. Do you think if the provision, that kind of institutional provision of, well, build to rent, for example, if that was better, do you think people would be less inclined to strive to be a homeowner? I think everyone still has this sense that they have to own their house in the UK. I wonder if this is a cultural thing or is it just that we don't have other options? It's partly cultural because the phrase is an Englishman's home is his castle, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas other cultures don't, don't have that. They don't have that. But at the same time, which would you rather do? Would you rather pay money to someone and then have to one day walk away from it or pay money to basically then own something and invest yourself because that's what people with mortgages are essentially doing it's a long-term investment i don't know quite how i would feel if all the money i was paying on my mortgage was just me paying to a, a landlord who could at any time say right i'm sorry i need you out because i'm going to move my daughter in or something i don't know how i'd feel about that i guess it's like a permanence is it are we more risk averse wanting to have that stability of knowing you can't be ultimately kicked out and I know that's a very simple statement it's much more complicated yeah. than that but maybe it is a risk averse thing I'd hate the thought that someone could come along and go sorry Emily no not anymore off you go yeah but which is why actually it being an institutional market rather than a private sector market mm. makes makes an awful lot of difference mm. but as I say if you look at the states if if a hundred major suburbs of major cities are actually now majority rental if people do move into that and of course the thing is it may, might mean that and they, they may have done it invested in other things and actually done better um, for their money um, than owning property but it is you're right the Englishman's or English person's home is their castle uh, and uh, that's possible that's what we've all been brought up with um, it's be becoming a very expensive castle at the moment though. Yeah. one of the, the questions oh, sorry wishes I keep saying questions one of the wishes was about converting empty offices and retail properties has anyone actually seen any retail properties that have been converted I, I, I've been thinking about this over the last few days and I can't actually think of any that I've seen or heard about unless it's a shopping centre you see, you see old um, corner shops. You sometimes see corner shops that have been turned into homes, but I don't think that's a recent thing. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm around, thinking more around recently. where I live. There's definitely I, shops and pharmacies that have turned into houses. I haven't seen any, but I live out in, in the, it's, in the it's boondocks. It's definitely the strategy in the, you know, the, the, the retail um, shopping centre market. And this is normally about sort of building over, actually taking, mm. putting more residential above, trying to create bigger communities for the shops locally. Uh, and that's a strategy that you're seeing played out time and time again. In fact, again, going back to the States, there is a shop, there's a re retail mall which was bought, I think, by Alexandria, who are a life sciences business to convert into labs and... There's an application for the Grafton Centre in Cambridge um, at the moment to effectively put mo the majority of it into labs, so changing usage. And I think there was a previous view that actually would put residential above it, but I don't think that's part of the application. So I think it's beginning to happen because you need to bring more activity into these spaces, and that's a good way of doing it. 
Yeah, I know there's a there's a shopping centre in central Berlin which is being converted in a similar way, although it's a repurposing and a re, re, redesign of the retail. But up above, they are converting a lot of the space there to residential, doctor surgeries, uh, kindergartens, and you talked about the need for that infrastructure as well. Um, so I'd be interested to see how that, that comes along. So, moving on, the next section of wishes was property and asset management. And uh, again, it was a, a question of collaboration. And the wish was for better collaboration across the strata with asset managers, property managers, facilities managers, and building managers working together and no more hierarchy. You're grinning. Oh, well, I'm grinning because this is a wish that I don't think is ever going to happen. But there is still very much. Uh, if you remember that old sketch with John Cleese and Dudley Moore, I think it was, you know, I look down on him because <laughs> I'm important and I look up to him. And there is still the idea of fund managers, asset managers, property managers, facilities managers, building managers. And I'm lowering my voice deliberately because that's how the property world views it. Whereas everybody's actually got a very important role to play and they're not unique and separate. And the, the knowledge from each one should be shared. It should be a total collaboration. That's my view, anyway. But if it was a wish, if it could come true, do you think it could? Is it something which is even vaguely possible on the horizon? Because there's a lot of companies that have moved into this kind of world using data and technology, and we're going back to the data and technology now, but um, some new models emerging in recent years, sort of hybrid models. It would benefit everybody. It would benefit the investors, it would benefit the occupiers, everyone would benefit from it if the property world accepted that you can always learn something from everybody are they mutually exclusive can that sharing and that learning still happen while the hierarchy is still in place because i think i'm i'm not saying that i guess that maybe came across too strong to keep the hierarchy in place but at a data sharing and reporting level, you will have property managers reporting to asset managers who have a different model to plug in. And then if it's going up to fund level, again, it's a different style of model for what reporting they're doing. I guess I'm struggling to picture how that workflow can still exist without visualizing some sort of hierarchy between the roles. I don't think it has to be a hierarchy. It just has to be a stream. So benefiting everybody would be knowing what needs to be reported up always benefits people who are inputting to the reports and then understanding what the people who are getting the data to input what they're doing and what their needs and challenges are might change how the reporting is done at the top if you think well actually if we told them what was what the strategy was oh my word if we actually shared what the overall strategy is, would that not make their job more interesting, make them more engaged with, with what they were doing? Okay, so I guess it's maybe more it's more behavioural than structural. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, it is structural at the moment. It's very pyramidic. Mm. But it, there's no reason why it can't be a free flow of information in both directions. But is it a just a property issue? Because 
How many times recently have you been on the phone and said, oh, just a second, I have to put you on to the other department. They deal with this matter. Uh, and so, and then I, they I, tell you you've got I, to go back I, to the I, first department. Exactly, and <laughs> yeah. actually you can see a Monty Python sketch coming yes. out of this. <laughs> but I think it's sort of just simply the way that things get structured. Everything is almost in silos, and so silos are responsible for one thing, and actually connecting them or threading them or weaving the silos so that you've got interconnectivity. And part of it, as you say, is actually purpose. Actually, what is our mission? Mm. If you understand the whole mission, you might actually understand how to serve better, and that's definitely important. I just wonder whether or not, in time, technology will start providing an answer to this, that AI might start actually providing some sort of connection through. So as you're talking, it's working out what the solution to this is so that you can start getting a, a one-stop shop. Um, but that's actually not necessarily helping the people argument. But uh, I, I suspect that AI will start being introduced into this space. Well, we're going to move on to our final wish now, which was bracketed under general, because uh, we had a few. So the one we highlighted was a wish for world peace, which seems obvious, but how many of our real estate issues would that solve? There, no more war means a more stable economy, stable interest rates, stable fuel prices, um, an easier ride on service charges, which is an interesting take, um, and no more sanctions to manage. I was talking to Steph Yates yesterday about the management of sanctioned assets and uh, asset owners and how complicated that was. Oh, I had absolutely no idea. It's very, very complicated. It's, <laughs> And if you are in the property management business, you just feel like you're trying to do your job with one hand tied behind your back and a blindfold on. And I believe that the asset managers and fund managers have the same issues because the, the chain from start to finish gets disrupted. I can't go into too much detail, but I have had direct experience of this a long time ago, a different war. A different, different war. war. A different huh. war. During a war. Not that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> and but uh, san sanctions are managed by a completely different entity. Mm. So you've got the KYC, which in itself mm. is hard, yeah. particularly as in its ultimate beneficial owners, difficult enough. But sanctions is a completely different mm. um, uh, set of legislature and uh, people running it. So, but you know, wouldn't it be great? no more war um, yeah. wouldn't it be wonderful um, none of those horrific stories and so on um, no more homelessness as well that would be a great wish yeah. I just don't know what brings it about I don't know what one does actually how uh, waving a magic wand would be great but I'm not sure what you would say as you waved it but um, you're the genie uh, well yes I was just going to say sadly it all comes back to property because it's always about land isn't it War is always yeah, about land. And resources. That's what it boils down yeah. to. Well, oh, this is a cheery topic. Too. Yes, <laughs> yes. My, my wish is let's change the subject and talk about something more positive. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, we, we're, we're heading towards the closure of the podcast. So it's time really to, to pass the magic wand around and uh, for you all to choose or for us to choose our wish which we would like to grant. And... Um, Ladies first, Emily. This is a tough one because I think we've covered some really big topics. Um, 
but I'm going to go for the the S in ESG needs to be recognised and enacted better, playing to what we spoke about with the social value, social investment leases. I think if that can get some more traction in the coming few months, I think that would be a really great addition to the industry. So that is my wish for a bigger S in ESG. So can you wave the magic wand? I'm waving. Thank you. Well, that's kind of irritating because that's what I was going to say. It's just such a good wish. Yes, it is (laughs) such a good wish. And maybe if both of us wish for it... It'll happen twice as well. power. Absolutely. Well, I'm a genie. Rub the lamp. It'll happen. Okay. (laughs) Andy. Okay, so I've got to do something different. (laughs) Um, Do you know, I've been... Uh, really staggered at how advanced, you know, new technology in pharma in, in pharma science, bioscience is coming through. I mean, this story of um, the leukemia um, mm. child. Um, there's you know, st- there's some really good things that are actually sort of in the melting pot at the moment, and I'm just hoping that those speed up. You know, where you can start getting CRISPR technology and dealing with cancers and sort of dealing with some of the horrors that we face as people um, with you know, deadly viruses and things and that we can get control of that because maybe that would be something that would actually provide a healthier, um, stronger planet. Mm. So that would be my wish and I'm waving my wand <laughs> for that next year. Thank you. I'll I'm going to go for the faster broadband and, and better <laughs> Wi-Fi then, just so we can all communicate. And that's what, what I'm all about, is communication and uh, helping people to be better colleagues, better operatives within the industry. So that's my wish. It just leaves me now to thank you all and to wish everyone a very happy Christmas. If you listen before Christmas, if it's after, I hope it was a good one. But to uh, wish you all a very prosperous 2023. So thank you, Emily. Thank you, Paddy. Thank you, Lorna, and thank you, Andy. Thank Thank you, Paddy. Paddy. Happy Christmas to you all. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to Recast, the property podcast by Remit Consulting. If you want to stay up to date with the Recast team and upcoming episodes, make sure you follow us on Instagram at recast.pod, or you can always keep in touch through the Remit Consulting LinkedIn page.